Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media and virtual production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on and take more questions. So if you've got questions, go ahead and throw them in. We've got a great panel today. And um, if you have questions and you're not in Makana, you can actually go to askofficehours.global or use this little QR code here, um, and that will get you in. Um, you can ask those questions 24-7. So you don't have to wait for the show, and then we will uh, file those questions in as we go. All right, let's go ahead and jump into those questions. Uh, CJ, what do we have? First question comes to us from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. What tool do you use to blur the background of an interview subject recording? Go ahead, Chris. Well, the preferred tool is, is a little thing called depth of field. That's the best way to do it. Get, you know, get your camera set up right with a blur. And I realize, Andy, that's not what you're talking about. Um, the easiest way to do it is if you're using Zoom to use its thing, which is horrible. We all we all realize that it's horrible, but it's super easy. Final Cut has a thing. Bill, help me out. What's it called? It's like a it's like a background separator plugin. It basically I don't think just, I've ever used it, Chris. I don't think I've used it either, but I know it's there. Uh, what's that tell you? Uh, and but, but but you can like separate the background from the thing. You know what? I'm going to try and do it right now while we're while we're doing the show here. But um, it basically uses a little intelligence. I'm not going to say artificial intelligence, but it it goes. Oh, look! Here's the foreground element. And what I think mostly what it's doing is it's looking at the pixels that don't move and assumes that those are the background. Go, Bill. So um, it, it depends. Obviously, we've all used are used to doing it optically. And optically is the process of choosing the right aperture on your lens so you control your depth of field and then focus sharply on your subject so that everything else is naturally, and naturally means the way lenses have done it since the dawn of time, uh, out of focus or defocused. And it, when you do it that way, it looks organic and you're used to seeing it in movies and everything else. And it kind of really reads well for people. When you get into doing it kind of algorithmically by doing things, the, the way I've most often done it, and it's, it's more difficult by far, you can do things like use an oval mat on your subject and a soft edge on that and then use a Gaussian blur on what's not in the primary area you, you want to have in focus. So you do a mat of two different shots one of which is masked off to allow that subject to be seen, and the other one is has a blur applied to it. But those things always look difficult, and when you're doing something like that, your subject can't really move around a lot, or they move into the edge of the fake blur you've done on them. There are algorithms that try to do it, like the Zoom things. They all look particularly bad to me, so I'm just funny that way. Uh, go ahead, CJ. Uh, the feature that Chris was talking about in Final Cut is the scene removal mask that uh, tries to get you to uh, move a foreground object and separate it from the background object so you may be able to put a plate or something behind it. Uh, but again, because you're doing something algorithmically, you're going to run into some issues where it's not quite as smooth as you want it to be and it's not quite as perfect. Uh, if you are shooting with a green screen and your green screen is properly lit, then you could put in a still or a video as a plate in the background and, like Bill said, throw a Gaussian blur on there. 
Yeah, the hard, hard part is, is that Gaussian blurs look a certain way. And so one of the things you want to look for is a focal blur or a lens blur. Um, these are calculated in a different way. And you can see those in Photoshop. You can see them in a lot of other places. And if you're going to do something that you want to sell as a as a background blur, use the lens blur as opposed to it. It'll take a lot longer for it to calculate, um, but it's going to calculate more like the bokeh of a camera than than a than Gaussian blur. Gaussian blur is a lot faster. It's been around for a long time, but it has a certain look to it. Um, that people can, that folks like us can recognize, um, but also that, it, you know, it will just look fake. A lot of times your consumer, it doesn't mean that they didn't, they didn't notice it, but they don't know what it is, but it looks fake. Like, and that's, and that's where you want to, that's why you want to try to get through that. Um, a lot of the tools, I don't think Final Cuts are quite as well developed, but the, um, uh, but in in Resolve, there's a lot of roto tools that will that you can select someone's edge and it'll just hold on to that edge all the way through so you can roto the person out from the background um my suggestion is to be very subtle about what you do you know the, the big mistake is too much blur just a little just just soften it up and separate that person out and you can get away with a lot more if you don't go too far i do think what's going to be really interesting in this whole process is watching what happens when people start shooting their interviews with iPhones because the iPhone will have depth information. So, it, you know, so basically what will happen is, is that you'll send something back. It'll have a little bit of a blur to it, but Final Cut or whatever will be able or anybody looking at that depth information can grab onto that edge and also know exactly how to um, uh, blur the background and they can adjust it like, oh, I want a little sharper. I want it to be a little blurrier. They can do all of those things. And that happens now. There's a there's a. I don't know. I think you can do it in the iPhone. I mean, in the actual photos app in the iPhone now, but there's a, there was a program, program called Focal, F-O-C-O-L that used to do that. And I haven't used it for a while, but you, it would take, it, would, it grabs onto that depth information and lets you go ahead and change it based on the photo that you took. Go ahead, Chris. You can actually do that right now in, in just photos. in the photos app yeah. of, of the phone. It, it, you, so sorry, you go into the, um, the uh, edit mode and change the f-stop. You just change yeah. the f-stop and it goes, oh, more focus. And yeah. in regards to the scene removal thing, you do have to have a test frame, a, a blank frame. Yeah, and that's what we call a difference mat. Um, so we would take it, we look, we're looking for the difference between the pixels um, to make a decision about whether we can build a mat for it. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Courtney. Yeah, the one built into Zoom, uh, here I'll turn it on, you can see, it does too much blur, I think. Yep. It's designed to disguise your background rather than look like bokeh so that you can't really tell what's behind you. And it does a fairly decent job, but you can see a little bit of swimming on my head when I move back and forth. And headphones tend to confuse it somewhat, but I'm not wearing headphones, so I don't have that problem. I wish you could just adjust if they just put yeah. in a little slider so that you could bring the blur down and see when I move my hand and suddenly it didn't know what it was and made it blurry. Um, if you could just bring the blur down maybe 40% or so, then you could use it as fake bokeh rather than to disguise your background. But, yeah, uh, I do think, I think, I think you're 100% right. I think that, that it is really not designed to be, look good. It's designed to not show what's behind you. Go ahead, Bill. And please, please, please test it out and make sure you're going to like the results. I saw a seminar with a very high dollar thing that I was watching the other day. This guy is supposed to be the guru of all gurus for this particular area. And his background uh, fake knockout was so bad that every time he moved his head, part of his background disappeared and part of it came back. It was the most distracting thing. I could not listen to what is what he was saying or take him seriously as a pundit because his key was just awful. 
I, I, I just to follow up on what you said, I mean, I think that it's so important for anyone who's uh, speaking in front of a lot of people, like more than 20, to really think about how they're, and if they're going to do it regularly, really think about how they're going to look. Um, it's it's just an insane thing that leaders and, and press and everybody else are just building the worst kits. And they think it's okay. And it is a, it is a, it is a complete emperor has no clothes situation for anybody trying to have any kind of thought leadership. You have to look and sound good. You dressed up to be on, you know, ABC News or whatever. Uh, if you don't have the the right materials, the right tools, you're, you're, you might as well just go in the t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops. Next question. Next question comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. Do you think we'll ever see the GPT-4 usage cap go away? Uh, yeah, good, uh, John. Yes, it's a supply and demand issues. What's going to happen is AI is going to integrate into all applications. And so AI as a separate application will eventually go away. And so you'll have access to to these same models via every other application. But but yes, they'll they'll diminish over time. Yeah, because in those applications, with ChatGPT, it's all you can eat for twenty bucks or free or whatever. They, they, you know, they, you're on a limited thing. When you are using the applications, if you're licensing it, you're paying per usage, which means that you're actually uh, for them. I don't know if it's profitable, but it's a lot less, a lot less loss. Um, and so they can they can scale the resources more effectively. So yeah, I think yeah, Chat as John said. ChatGPT is just there to to get you excited about it. It's not there to. It, it's. I don't think it was ever designed to be the the thing. It's just there to 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 get people excited. So now everyone's building apps that tie back into that that model. Uh, go ahead, CJ. And then with the updates to the GPT four usage cap uh, from a couple weeks ago and the turbo mode that's now involved, if you use uh, API access to make calls on the model as opposed to using ChatGPT to interact with it. I think you'll find that not only is it a lot more cost effective, but you're going to get uh, more custom results for you. Like it's, you can design a solution to do exactly what you want it to do rather than always playing, you know, within that little web browser. Like I like that it's not persistent. I don't have to have a, a, a list of every single chat that I ever had with this thing. Well, and John, it, 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 you know, for people who are building custom GPTs, uh, or custom access to GPT, are they essentially giving, um, they're kind of hemming in what the, what it's looking for. So if they're, if they're a scientific one, it kind of, it's almost like giving a giant prompt at the beginning that says, this is, this is all the things they're doing that. And then they're taking your question and adding it. Is that about right? It's exactly correct. Yeah. Hey, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I'm not familiar with their price structure, but is it, do they do it? Uh, do they make the price or the, make the usage cap to prevent bot? Nets from using it to generate, you know, propaganda or whatever, so so that they could, you know, just spawn multiple, multiple, multiple accounts to uh, use ChatGPT to generate a bunch of, you know, cruft to uh, populate the internet with. John, do you have any? Yeah, all that all that traffic has to go through an API, Courtney. So bot mm -hmm. away. Uh, it gets expensive. That's we're going to be doomed to the butts. Uh, next question. No, well, and, and by the way, Courtney, I think that for social network, the thing to watch for is for social networks, and the current ones can't do it. But I think that there's going to be a place where people say every person in this system is a human being, and it's a it's a human driven system, and it requires you to authenticate and requires you. Oh, but it, you know captures. that oh gosh, and it won't be. I don't think it needs to be. It doesn't need to be captured anymore. Not with not with passkey and your phone. It can be you. You know, and it can be seamless. Some type of uh, uh, 
biological. But, but just look at it. You look. I mean, for a, for an, I, I, an Apple user, you just look at your phone and it'll let you in. But it it just it needs to do that every time it goes in, just like you you know. And I think that 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 will and and the that really makes it much more difficult because it's you as you and you're one person in a thing you know. And it and I think that's the um you know that's the key to the operation. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. And I real quickly, I think this is and we've talked about this before in the past. This is what. Uh, Mr. Musk is doing about getting people. He's starting with something simple: just pay for a blue check mark. Now I know I have your credit card. You're probably a real person. Yeah, no, no. That's that's why he's doing that. The, yeah. the problem is, is that the rest of his plan is so disastrous that he may not. We may not know whether that one's going to work or not. But he's going down. He's he's essentially driving Twitter into the ground to do what another a new system could do from the ground up. Yeah, go ahead, uh, CJ. And the one way that I wanted to mention the a Mac app that I use to interact with GPT on a uh, API basis, uh, the program's called Mac GPT. And right here in the preferences, I've blurred out my API key, but you can put in your API key that you get when you go to log into platform.openai.com. And now when I hit a, a hotkey on my keyboard, I get a window that looks like Spotlight. And now I can just type into it and interact directly with GPT. So what I usually do is I will have a prompt. For example, I have an email revision prompt where I type in, you know, GPT email. And then it fills in all of my, uh, it fills in all of what I want it to do. And then, oops. And then I can type into GPT email. It fills it in and it says, okay, now I've set up GPT to do this specific task. But now I never have to go back to that ever again. That's great. Uh, next question. Next question from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. Can Wirecast call into a secure, authenticated Zoom meeting? Uh, I don't know why it would. Um, you know, so it's a streaming, you know, it's not built for being part of something. I think you can use a virtual camera that it generates as a, as an, a participant. But I don't know why it would. Oh, well. Oh, I see what you're saying. To pull ISOs. Sorry. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think so. Um, it shouldn't. It should be able to do anything that you can do as far as a Zoom join. You just have to. You'd have to sign in, and I just don't know the sign in process for uh, Wirecast. I'll, if I talk long enough, I might. Someone might tell me what that is. The answer for that, but um, but I think that uh, if uh, um, oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I think I might. Uh, uh, yes, it can. <laughs> the answer, the authoritative answer is yes, it can. All of the Zoom integrations for broadcast support uh, support OAuth and can then join meetings that are that the logged in account is registered for. And that is from oh, Andy. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> so see, you, you just, I just got to drag my feet a little bit, and the answer pops up. Andy actually answered that about ten minutes ago. I just I just had to look for my Discord. All right, next question. Next question from Khaled Aljamaya in Hassa, Saudi Arabia. Hey, Alex, have you heard of Sony's product showcase mode? It's available in the newest cameras like the ZV-E1, but there's a hack to have it available in other cameras. I go and ahead it and is, uh, in, there's a link there. I've got to let you answer first because it was yours. Uh, I, of course, I went into the, the menu system of my Sony camera looking for such a feature. And amongst the 45,000 other uh, features in the Sony menu system, I could not find this. Um, <laughs> it's the worst. 
<laughs> so, but but fundamentally, uh, you can create this really on any camera. It's about trying to reduce the level of lock to your eye feature. So, uh, you know, on the I believe the ZB one actually has a, a mode, but I don't think you're going to find product showcase as the feature. I think you just need to turn features on and off to achieve that objective. Oh, yeah, and yeah. if you search for them, you'll get to it. Samuel. Yeah, uh, well, uh, the product showcase feature is actually on the on the uh, the vlogging cameras like the ZVE one and the ZVE ten, and it's uh, like a, a mode where you can uh, not have the eye eye uh, focus, so like you don't have to cover your eyes to show a product. So it's actually quite a consumer feature feature on the vlogging cameras. But what uh, this year uh, video shows is that they just set up a preset to turn on and off the eye tracking autofocus on yeah. older cameras. Yeah, so it, it is, uh, okay, so it, 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 there is a feature, there's an actual button for the Z1, the, e, the ZV-E1? Yes, on the on the vlogging cameras there is, uh, the I'll ZV-E1. Okay, yeah, so, can, so in another Sony camera it can be a collection of things, and in the... The one that I have, oh, that's great. I'll have to, we'll try it. By, by tomorrow, I'll be just showing you things all the time, and it'll just pop right up. Um, anyway, so it's <laughs> so exciting. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I have gotten, uh, by the way, I made, you know, in the, um, the, the ongoing thing, I, I did adjust my color from yesterday again. Uh, so I'm, it's, it's, a, it's a little hard as a, as a little report on it, it that in the sense that I haven't gotten resolved to display the image the way that I see it in zoom so you're kind of like i measure it so what i do is i i run i run it through uh no omniscope and i and i look at it and i look at the i look at the numbers and then i go back into resolve and tweak the numbers and then do it again so i think it's a little closer today than it was yesterday a little less green and um uh and but i'm you know i and I, I really am kind of amazed these cameras can connect over wi-fi and and it's such a small little file but i can't throw the LUT to the camera over Bluetooth or, or Wi-Fi and you're just like, because I have to walk over here, pull it out, put it in here, do it. At least my, my studio has a, uh, a SD card, but you, they're just kind of walking around and I have a boot on right now. So I, it's kind of like I clunk through like a pirate through my system and I um, <laughs> go up there and go back anyway. Uh, go ahead, Samuel. Yeah, the one thing to note about the product showcase feature is that I can mess with the settings like the aperture settings. Uh, so it's like uh, it will make it in focus, but it can mess with the other other settings. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, excellent. Next question. Next question comes to us from Chad Lafarge in Columbia, Missouri. OpenAI ousted CEO Sam Altman. Why? What's next for OpenAI? What's next for Sam Altman? Uh, go ahead, Nigel. I, I would like to read to you a line from the press release, which I think is just an astonishing line for anyone to put in a press release. It says, concluded that he was not consistently candid in his communications with the board, hindering its ability to exercise responsibilities, his responsibilities. If that doesn't open yourselves up for more questions, um, if they thought that press release was going to kill everybody going, well, so it wasn't strategy, it wasn't operations, what was it? Um, it's, it's, you know, that to me looks like he lost his board. And as a CEO, there is nothing more dangerous you could do than lose your board. Um, and boards are often full of people with huge egos who need to be kowtowed to. So I'd be, uh, one day we'll find out what uh, doesn't mean he wasn't candid, but I'm guessing somewhere in that. Um, you know, it, it can go one of two ways. My guess is um, 
for open AI, uh, if they have enough momentum, they'll be fine. But you can really start to lose critical skill because that can really throw the people you are most dependent on, not at the top level, but a couple of levels down, who lose the person they were following. And when you lose the people people are following, the company slows down. And now it's an interesting organization anyway. I'm sure he'll go on to do greater and better things, but it'd be really interesting to know in his contract, does he have a non-compete and non-solicitation clause? Because And by the way, are they worth anything in California? Because if he doesn't, I suspect he'll have a competitive solution going pretty quickly. There you go, John. Oh boy, the fireworks firing yesterday. There's lots going on around this uh this announcement, both both uh, Greg Brockman and 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 uh, Sam were both on United versus the board. So there's some interesting stuff happened. Sam Sam's going to be fine. Sam was the ex CEO of um, oh the name just flew right out of my head. It was uh, Y Combinator, and he made hundreds of millions of dollars at Y Combinator as a CEO as a venture capitalist, and he's also the largest investor in one of the six uh, fusion entities that are out there. He just put $350 million of his own money in one of these fusion companies. Is the one so up in Seattle? Um, I don't, uh, I'm not sure Seattle. if they are in Seattle. They just signed a deal yeah. with Microsoft. I know that, which is, makes this even more interesting. And I'm sure the board, the, the Microsoft's behind this, these movements is, is our guess. Um, so some sparks are flying. Yeah, I think that um, it seemed that there was a, I, I can't, I don't know what happened there. I mean, it's, it was, sudden and chaotic uh you know like it's it, it is not the way you wanted to do this but i guess it, it's surgical like if people know that they're in a fight they can do unpredictable things as well so um so i think that it was it it did appear that there was a bunch of contribution you know contributing factors ill ill uh uh ilia uh ilia um uh the the i think it sounds like it was instigated by um it's it's um sorry i lost them ilia suits uh suits giver is that right? Suits Kiever? Really, yeah, Suits Kiever, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it, he was kind of the instigator of the whole thing. Nothing like having an angry Russian now running uh, ChatGPT. Chat GPT. Like, what, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> anyway, so, um, uh, so, uh, but, um, uh, so the so I think that he it sounds like he, it was a little bit of a coup um, on that case of not wanting to go certain directions. It does sound like, you know, I think Sam can see the big picture of where this is all going and what's needed. And was out there building other companies and building other you know funds and everything else to go. He's trying to. This is the hard part you have with the founder is the in the board and the investors want to make money, and the oftentimes the founder wants to do something like they're they're solving a problem, and this company is a vehicle to solve that problem. But it might not be the only vehicle. They're they're sitting there. They're trying to they're trying to solve a calculation. So he's trying to solve something. He's trying to solve this idea. And he'll do it in every way he possibly can. And the chat, you know, OpenAI was the vehicle that he was using to do that. But he was also using other vehicles and probably not being as forthcoming as he that they wanted him to be. And I and I I doubt he was really doing anything. I think it was mostly that Ilya was upset of that he was doing a bunch of other things. And and I guess Ilya got demoted over uh, the summer. And so that you know when you it it really is like at a lot of these big companies it can be very Game of Thronesy. You know, like in you know, so uh, Ilya got got uh, demoted over the summer, and probably that's when the, the the churn began 
to to do something you know for him to show them <laughs> you know so so anyway uh so i think that that's that's my take on it right now without having very much information i'm just making stuff up like uh like most press people evidently all press people on the sidelines of football nfl football games just make stuff up according to the news <laughs> that's such a oh that was such a disaster uh, whoever thought that that was going to be a good idea all right uh to, to to not only make up the make up stuff on the sideline but to uh tell people flat out that that's what they're doing uh next question Next question from Ana Hohahi in Black Bear Marshall in Hawaii. Please define industry leading in this context. Can You can't just make a large statement like this without also saying what specific things about a product make it an industry leader, as well as who has publicly reported this as an external source, a QR code. Yeah, so um, uh, this is in reference to, I was talking about the fact that EEG was an industry leader. Uh, I don't say that very often. When, when I say EEG is an industry leader, in broadcast, they are 95% of the market. Like, it's not like an industry leaguer. They have a near lock on captioning. <laughs> so, 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 like, it's when it comes to hardware, when it comes to hardware captioning solutions, when I say an industry, and I don't, well, I don't throw that word around very often, but when someone has over 90% of the market, that I would say that they're at least in the lead um, of, that, of that market. So that's, that's what, that, so just to underline my definition of, of why I said that um, is because in broadcast, you don't see anything other than EEG in hardware. Um, yeah, go ahead, Bill. So often when you're listening to people speak in public and particularly in, in written things in magazines, newspapers or whatever, uh, when I was early into that business, I used to write a column for Video Maker and I did it for about 10 years. And I remember my editor pulling me aside one day and said, you know, you need to use a few more weasel words. People are getting you know, like very specific about comments and it's wasting our time. And I said, what's a weasel word? So weasel words are weasel terms are things where you're suggested that, you know, you might want to write the phrase, the focus ring is hard to use, but you will get a lot of bounce back from all sorts of fans of that piece of equipment going, it's not really that hard to use. You just have to be blah, blah, blah. And so you go. So you'd find yourself writing, the focus ring can be difficult to use. It's not a big change, but you've just not laid a marker that somebody can push back against for no really good reason. One of the things I admire most about Alex here is Alex, when he believes something, will tell you exactly what he believes. That is an, a bit of an unusual thing, and it really is helpful for people who want clarity in these things. You can like or dislike the idea of weasel phrases or weasel words, but they're there for a specific reason. I can't tell you the number of times I've gotten pings back on a little thing that I said in the magazine that could be taken one of two ways. And people wanted to debate that for the next three weeks. And I just don't have time for it. I'm sorry. So you throw in a few. Thank you, Courtney. Yeah, industry leader is thrown around cavalierly uh, because it could refer to many things. It could refer to market leader. You know, in other words, they have a certain percentage, the highest percentage of the market in sales per unit. Or it could be re, you know, as an apple refers to itself as, you know, one of the most uh, the richest <laughs> company because their uh, profit margin is higher than most other companies. They make the most sales according to dollars. Do they make make the most number of unit sales? No. So it's it's it has to do with it is weaselly like uh, uh, like Bill mentioned because it depends on the qualifications to industry leader. Are they uh, and you know for example there are some companies that are industry leader in uh, research and development. You know, they're the bleeding edge of technology, although they may have a very tiny portion of the market. 
uh, they could be, you know, bleeding edge and, and a lot of things fail. But if you want a, a leader in the way of, uh, of new product development, you know, you go with one company. So industry leader, depending upon what uh, portion of the industry you're referring to, can mean many different things. And many companies could also claim to be industry leader. It just depends on which subdivision of industry you're looking at. Yeah, and I probably said that word like five times in in the entire out of thousand uh, over a thousand episodes. It, it is for me when I say just so you know, like I mean, everybody will have their own meaning for how this how this means. If I say an industry leader, I mean ninety percent of the market. Like like it, for me, it's ninety percent of the market, and I know. I've done a lot of work in captioning and tried to find other things because the the, the EEG is really expensive. A 492 is like seven grand, you know, and so it's not like, so I was trying to find less expensive solutions. The reason I know this so well is because I talked to everybody and they're like, oh, well, I use a 491, right? I use a 492, but it was between the 491 and the 492, not between what are you going to use? Um, there's very rare, there are very few places like Apple would prefer you not to think that they're an industry leader because they're dealing with antitrust every single day. And so, um, so they're like, no, we're just, you know, we're just a, a little player in a big, we're a little, a just little make more money than everybody else. <laughs> we're that's a little all. fish in a big, in a big pool. Uh, yeah, we're just doing the best we can. Uh, go ahead, Nigel. So I've used this phrase many times in press releases and marketing presentations and, and uh, it means exactly what I want it to mean. Uh, when I want it to mean what I want it to mean. Uh, I do think the phrase that people have to be very careful of, particularly when they own 95% of market, is phrases like, we dominate in this industry. So yeah. there are there are many phrases you use. Apple never uses any of these sorts of phrases. Well, and, and also EEG, while an industry leader in what they do, uh, it was bought by AI Media because AI Media was you know growing faster and, and the market that EEG, they're an industry leader, but that industry is getting smaller you know the the hardware captioning world is is was a was a harder nut to crack next question next question from douglas carmichael what does the panel think about curved monitors would you trust one as your main desktop slash editing monitor cj so i have two desk setups the one i have this one where i have a lot of smaller screens and I have on my other desk that has a big 49 inch it's like 227s without a bezel in between I use that as my primary monitor it actually has a little hub in the back which is nice because I can plug USB stuff into it and not have a ton of things hanging off my laptop I find myself gravitating towards work at that desk specifically that I have a really wide timeline or usually it's database work where I have a lot of fields and I want to look at a lot of columns at the same time the only way that this works, though, I could not use this monitor if I didn't use a window manager. If I didn't have Divi or I didn't have Cinch or I didn't have Magnet or something like that, then I wouldn't be able to sit at my desk and hit a little keyboard shortcut to go left, right, oh, whoops, sorry, uh, left, uh, left, right, up, down, corners. If I didn't have the ability to move windows quickly, uh, shoot, I'd be toast. Sorry, we had a point there. Um, so, uh, uh, Courtney? Yeah, as far as uh, large monitors are different than large curved monitors, I do not like curved monitors. If they could develop a curved monitor that has zero reflectivity to it, you know, maybe I'd think about it. But if, in your, if you're in a room like this that has sunlight streaming through windows eventually at different times of the day, so you're going to have windows behind you, uh, the reflection off of a curved monitor gives you what's called a real reflection instead of a mirror reflection because the 
the reflection moves in the opposite direction that you would think it would move if, as if it were a mirror or a flat pane of glass. And it does something to your brain. And if you've ever had a, a concave uh, mirror and looked at your reflection, and it is very off-putting because, you know, when you raise your hand, it's the opposite hand that you expect to come up <laughs> in the reflection. And it's because it's a real reflection. So if they could get rid of the reflections, which are very distracting, uh, maybe. But I like to have multiple monitors where I can isolate the feeds to each monitor. That way I can feed what's going to that monitor over there. I can move my mouse across all of them, you know, and I can slide windows over onto other monitors uh, easily. But uh, as far as one monitor space, uh, but different video outputs for each monitor so that I can send different uh, images to different inputs on the ATEM. Go ahead, CJ. It also pays to to see the monitor in person if you can, to see just how curved is that monitor. Uh, because sometimes it's a very, very gentle curve and sometimes it's very dramatic. So depending on your desk setup uh, or your preferences, you might like that one way or the other. The other thing that I'll mention about using a larger monitor is if you're on one of these newer Macs that are limited to how many individual monitors they can output, but it can drive a 6K, one 6K monitor or one 4K monitor, odds are you can get that ultra-wide and still get the physical screen real estate that you need without hitting that, that hardware limitation. Go ahead, Samuel. Yeah, I totally agree with Courtney. Uh, I have uh, four monitors in front of me. I've got the LG Quad that I recommended, and then I've got three normal 1080p uh, monitors and what I really like about it is that I can full screen something in 1080p and then capture it either desktop capture or out through ATEM or something and uh, it can full screen windows a lot easier than you could on a on a curved monitor like a long monitor yeah and uh, I the reason I do all 1080p monitors is because I have a switcher. <laughs> Same thing that Courtney was talking about, and I just want everything to be 1080p, so anything can anything that I'm looking at the monitors can be fed into the switcher. So that's that's the limitation for me. Next question from Anna Hawaii Black Bear Marshall in Hawaii. No audio at all on Sundays. So does this also need to be cleaned up before this audience to be included, or has the decision been made to exclude them now? Yeah, and uh, here's what I'll, I'll say. Number, um, I, what I'll, I'll say is uh, uh, these are better Sunday questions. So uh, feel free to jump in on Sundays and ask ask the questions, or throw them in as a QR code, and, and we'll ask them. These are more kind of internal uh, in, internal discussions. So uh, I know that you're probably new to what we're doing, but usually internal stuff about how office hours works or what it looks like. We answer a couple of them here and there, but at some point we kind of move on to answering them on Sundays. Uh, we try to, it's mostly just because other people that are listening to the technical discussion don't need to hear us um, working on our system. We work on that on Sundays. So go ahead and ask that question on Sundays and we're happy to answer it. Uh, next question. Next question comes to us from Craig McFarlane in Boston, Massachusetts. With Black Friday this coming week, are there deals expected that you're watching for? I go ahead, Nigel. There will always be deals on Black Friday, but I'd like to offer my annual notice that uh, occasionally people produce products just for Black Friday, and they are not as exciting, particularly very cheap laptops uh, sometimes have uh, degraded products in them to get them to that price. So beware of the, the ultra-cheap things and part numbers that suddenly emerge on Black Friday. I think Elgato's got a pretty good deal out at the moment. It's about 35% off, really uh, looking at whether... The, uh, the new prompter 
is a good idea for some of my colleagues. Um, although once you uh, do the creative pack and add the prompter and you add the stand and you add the uh, stream deck, it's a, a little more expensive. If I had anything on my wish list, I really uh, went in search of the feature for my mix pre that would add channel four and five. It's called the plus two feature. Currently, it looks like it's seventy nine dollars. If mix, if uh, sound devices would like to put that on sale for Christmas I'd, or Black Friday, I'd be very welcome. Thank you. I go, Bill. Used to be Black Friday. I'm beginning to start to expect that it to be Black November now. For the last three weeks, I've been getting all sorts of pings uh, for things that would have normally been Black Friday or more importantly, Cyber Monday, which is when the deals typically come out on like software and online stuff. I've just been inundated with. I can't tell you the number of emails of uh, inline ads and things that I've seen for. We're now doing our Black Friday today or starts now. And so they're just Everybody understands a lot of people buys this time, buy this time of year. So uh, there's no longer in my head a real Black Friday. I, I do wait. I mean, if you need any Waves plugins, it's coming soon. Like that's the time to buy Waves plugins. There's like three or four times a year. Like they just they, they have these inflated prices on Waves. And then they and there's just you're only you're just the worst part about it is, is that you just feel like a sucker if you have to buy them in between those times because everything's going to be almost nothing. Uh, and then, and then they're really expensive and they, and, and I, I guess they've decided they only need to sell product four times a year, but this is one of those four times. So, uh, so next week you can buy waves plugins, uh, for almost nothing. <laughs> you know, so that's, so that's the one that, so if you need, if you need a waves plugin, this is your, this is your moment. Uh, go ahead, CJ. Yeah, the other thing that I always look out for is uh, kitchen appliances. I know it's not a tech thing, but like usually you can get a good deal on a mixer or a good deal on another piece. The one thing I'll be aware of, just caution, is just like on Prime Day, if you see something on Amazon that says it's discounted, roll back a little bit and make sure that it wasn't a higher number earlier because sometimes they sometimes they fudge that a little bit. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I may be looking for a, a new laptop. My current uh, travel laptop is about five years old. So I'm kind of looking for a little, uh, maybe a new, you know, 13th gen our 14th gen uh, Intel laptop. But what worries me is a lot of Best Buy and all of them say, you know, Black Friday's, you know, started last week, you know, get your Black Friday sale prices now. And I worry that, well, should I buy it now? Is that really going to be the Black Friday price? Or are they going to drop the prices further on Black Friday? And if I don't buy it now and I don't get in right away on at you know, first order on the actual Black Friday, will they all be sold out because they've been selling them at Black Black Friday prices for, you know, two weeks in advance? So uh, there's all things to consider whether how deep their stock is on those specially priced products. Will they be instantly sold out? And by the time Black Friday, actual Black Friday rolls around, they won't have them anymore. I worry about that. Go ahead, Chris. I have a theory about Black Friday. If you remove emotion from your purchases, you will, and not worry about sales, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll save money. I think a lot of times people go, oh, oh, it's on sale, I should buy this, I should buy this, and they buy a bunch of stuff they don't really need. Be logical, buy what you need, when you need it. I, I can almost assure you, you're going to spend less money. Go ahead, Bill. There's one more thing that's been annoying me, and I just saw it the last week. Um, the Cedar system that I use in my Universal Audio Apollo Solo is on, now on Cyber Monday or whatever it is. It's on discount. It's, they're selling it for half price. It's the $300 plug-in, so it's $150 off. But the thing was I saw it come through one of my sources at 50% off, another source at 60% off, 
later that day. So it is so easy now for manufacturers who are web marketing to literally just say, you know, we're not selling enough, drop it another 10%, and bing, it happens. So there's no consistency with pricing anymore. Pricing just varies with the market, and you have to make this buy decision at some point. And there's nothing you hate worse than, okay, I just spent 150 bucks on it. I could have spent $135 if I just waited 10 more minutes. And it's crazy. So I hope now, that the pricing people aren't killing themselves with this. And if you keep on waiting them out long enough, of course, you know, especially when it's, when it's a physical good, the price will just keep on going down. That's how I ended up with a really, really high quality sweatshirt that was orange. Uh, next question. <laughs> next question comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. Chat GPT fever has gripped the world. But do you think we'll see the same issues with GPT three and a half, four, as we've seen with the post Musk Twitter with Sam Altman and Greg Brockman out, degraded performance, reliability issues, slow feature development, et cetera. Definitely could happen. Like, you know, like there's all kinds of, you know, dangers there. I mean, it's a pretty large infrastructure at this point. If, if they had been kicked out in the first six months, I would say absolutely, or the first year. But this company's been around for a long time and had time to build up infrastructure. But even then, you know, people wonder about why CEOs and founders get paid so much money. There just aren't that many people around it that have it in their head to do what they're doing. And, you know, I've seen a lot of companies that lose a certain number of leaders or they have to come back and fix things or they have to do things because they understand nat natively, like in their head, exactly how this can work. And it's it can oftentimes be, um, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I, I worry about the ability to scale uh, the infrastructure like Alex was saying, because, for example, uh, Microsoft introduced Windows, uh, the next version of Windows, and they're rolling it out. It's an automatic update if you're running Windows 11, um, 23H2. And uh, all, a lot of my machines uh, rolled it out, and it has uh, the pilot version of uh, Copilot, <laughs> uh, the introduction version of Copilot built in, which is their... Uh, implementation of chat GPT 3 or 3.5. And I've noticed that uh, I was using it beforehand as, as a developer, but now that it's gone wide and available to everybody and is sitting on everybody's machine, it is slowed down to a unusable crawl. It still works. It still shows up. It doesn't lock you out. But, it, you know, it thinks about its response and it starts putting its response up like one word every five seconds. And it's like, okay, I got to wait another 20 minutes for it to get the response from my uh, query here. Uh, then it's completely unusable. But I don't think they were ready for people to actually all dive in at the same time, you know, in the same week to use it. And it it's something that takes a lot of scaling. It takes a lot of hardware and a lot of computer time to calculate. And I think people are going to become, uh, if they jump all in at the same time, they're going to be really disappointed. Yeah, and, and I think that that's the, the real danger with uh, Sam Altman not being there is just thought leadership, you know, getting it, keeping everybody go the same direction. A lot of these companies can go in a lot of different directions pretty quickly if they're, and they, you know, and they, and large corporations have that problem in general, like if just priority management and, and a lot of politics and, you know, everything else of people pulling in different directions. And it's not that there are, it's bad people, it's just that people with different priorities are all tugging against each other. And it's why a lot of times, I, I, knew, I knew one person who sold three companies to Google, literally left Google, started a company, brought, came back, sold it to Google, stayed there for two years, left the company, 
went out and did it again and again. <laughs> they did it three times. And, and, and I, I was like, Google must hate you. And I was, he's like, no, no. He goes, you can't produce the product that I'm, the products that I produced for Google. You, you can't produce them inside of Google. And so Google then started after that person and a couple other people did that. They started building their, the, some of these companies have their own kind of like, uh, uh, it's kind of like, it's a um, incubator incubators inside where you can have, they'll let you like Google has this thing where they'll give you a certain, you can raise money inside of Google and build your own team and we have Googlers and put together an idea. And, and they just learned that they had to let these teams operate like a startup so that they could do, do new things, you know? And so those, and then Google takes on, you know, obviously Google has a percentage, but they could go out and raise money against that as well. So Google's like just trying to, you know, like, and, and other companies do these things where they try to, um, figure out a way to get back to that startup mentality because the corporations have a really hard time, you know, just getting, there is a kind of a, uh, a, a systematic reaction to people doing something different inside of a corporation, a large corporation where if other people look like it, it'll displace them, it'll take energy resources away or just not the thing that they're interested in. Things get slowed down, you know, and, and it just, and they just kind of dissipate and, and it's hard to put your finger on what happened, but they just die. You know, and that happens a lot in big companies. Um, yeah, go ahead, Chris. You know, I think it's hard for um, for leaders. A, a great leader has the ability to say no when everybody else around you is saying yes because you know that no is the right answer. It's very hard to do that because of peer pressure, and it's very easy to to get distracted by that. You know, I look at a company like Frame, uh, Frame.io, Frame was successful because Emory had a really strong vision. You know, he had a really strong vision about <clears throat> just exactly how everything needed to be. And what's interesting is every once in a while you you run across somebody who's trying to be that attention oriented, and you could tell they're just they're tr- they're they're playing like, look at me, I'm like Steve Jobs, I'm like Emory Wells, whatever. And they and they're missing the mark. And from the outside, and you go, "Oh, look at you! You're trying to be like Steve Jobs, aren't you? How yeah. cute! Good luck yeah. with that." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good, Nigel. It's, well, there's a very unusual thing about about the, the Valley, which I didn't really know Silicon Valley till I went to work there. Is that when you talk to most people uh, around the tech world and you say, "Who do you work for?" If they don't live in Silicon Valley, they often name the manufacturer or the vendor or the software company. Uh, when you talk to people in Silicon Valley, they often say, I work for the Valley or I work in Silicon Valley. And they sometimes actually associate being part of that technical community above the company they work for. And in those instances, you've got to be very careful that you don't give people, particularly if they've already earned as fundamentally as many shares or options as they're going to, uh, if you don't give them the reason to leave and start something else. And I've noticed in the Valley, sometimes particularly people who come into the Valley from outside don't understand that very different cultural dynamic. Yeah, it, it is, it's really complicated. And it is, again, the other, the other big advantage of, or the, the thing that I think Sam did well, which is going to be a, a risk factor for uh, ChatGP or OpenAI is that he, is a very public figure and said a lot of, you know, interesting things and a lot of people follow him. And I think CEOs who, you know, or anybody in a company that wants to, and it's why, it's why some companies would prefer people not to be public is because they can go the, you know, they can argue with the company or they become more of a problem when they leave um, if they use their position to do that. But 
I think the CEOs that get the most done um, are the CEOs that do weekly. I mean, I, I know there's some companies here, some, I won't say which ones, but they do weekly, weekly all hands, you know, with the, with the company. The company shuts down on Friday and they do weekly all hands. Makes a huge difference in how the company views that person, how the company views where they're going, how the company, and they can weather an awful lot when they are interacting with their, their employees all the time, you know, and, and I think that that's a really important um, piece of the puzzle as well. Next question. Next question from Adrian Watkins in Wellington, New Zealand. How does the panel feel about the new Teams feature that will decorate your background, that can look at the room you're working from and then enhance it by cleaning up clutter or adding plants to the wall? Go ahead, Teams. Sorry, that just sounds like fun. The reason I think it's so funny is that as a Mac user, Teams crashes for me all the time. Like, it's just a constant problem. Like, I can't get in. I get a weird white screen before the the login screen. I get all this stuff. It's just such a cluster. And and the idea that they're adding more features instead of having mine actually work, it would be kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing. Anyway, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I can't get the app to work either. I have to go th- into the browser all the time. Um, here's the thing about this feature, if, it, if it's real. Um, I think it's a brilliant idea. And I can totally see sitting in that room saying, how can we leverage some AI generative fill sort of type stuff in teams? And somebody says, well, what if we just fix people's backgrounds for them? Oh, that's a great idea. I can totally, I would be that guy going, yeah, let's do that. Cause I can do that with somebody's background. I can, I can ask Alex to walk away and I can add a plant over his shoulder. I got, you know, I got some chops that way. It makes perfect sense. But is yeah. it going to work? <laughs> well, here's the here's the advantage. The advantage of what they're doing is that they are one of the big problems with. There's two big problems. Well, there's many problems with virtual backgrounds. <laughs> but so there's a, but there's a handful of problems that are more problematic for virtual backgrounds. One is vanishing point. So knowing getting the focal length correct on the background so that it looks natural. This is not something people notice, but it's weird. And it feels odd to someone looking at it. So, you know, getting that right, also getting the lighting correct. So if if, if you match the lighting and the focal length, you can get away with a lot behind somebody. We do this all the time. So when we shoot, so I, <laughs> instead of doing virtual backgrounds, we would, I, I did a lot of what we call point to points with CEOs. And so CEO, pretty big companies, some top, you know, very, very large companies. And and they want to go to Singapore or Morocco, but they don't want to actually fly there. They just want to speak there. And so what we would do is we would set, we would work for days with the remote system to make sure that it was ready to do a two-way so someone could stand up and talk to them. And we'd build a set that looked, or well, we didn't build a set. We took a picture that would, that would look like they were in their office or in their, their headquarters and, and match it perfectly. And then we have it on a monitor behind them and take the monitor, tilt it 15 degrees down so that you don't see any reflections. And you could not tell. But the reason is, is because we match the camera position and camera focal length um, and focus. So we literally focused, you know, we would calculate we're going to be eight feet or 10 feet from the, the subject. And we'd focus the camera at 10 feet so that the fall off was correct. So everything was perfect on that background. And then they could just sit there and, and talk to the remote um, folks and it would... Uh, uh, they would be able to, you know, and, and it would feel like they were there. And so what they're getting to do here is do a lot of that. They ha- they can see what the vanishing points are so they can match that. And they can calculate about, you know, they can calculate the blur so they can figure out how much it should be blurred behind them. They can calculate the lighting because the, the, the way that they already have the information back there. So there's a lot that they have there. The problem I still think they're going to have is the edges. So they've created something new. And what you're going to see is this little, I can see it in the demo that I just, that we just played there. 
you can see a little ripple along the edges. And as soon as someone sees the ripple, they'll know that it isn't real. And there's, yeah, that girl, there's a ripple. There was a, there was like a ripple when one of them moved. And I was just like, oh, they're going to see the ripple. And she they're waves gonna, her hand, waves her hand. Yeah. And, and, it, and so when you see the ripple of the background, you won't be able to stop looking at it. Like you won't, like the, that's the problem people are going to have is that they're going to be like, ah, oh, it's, it's what, what's really back there. And, and, and it, and it's a, it, it adds cognitive load. It's not real, you know? And, um, it's like that, that woman on the, on the airplane, you know, that is not real. Anyway, go ahead, uh, Bill. So new college courses are going to be popping up left and right after this discussion. It's online interior designer, and they're going to be offering double A degrees in it because people need this. So my, I think my, it's going to be real simple. My daughter had right. an interior designer phase for uh, Roblox. She just walked around and she had some little thing on the top of her said she was a designer and people would pay her in 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 Robux to yeah. like design their design their house. <laughs> there you go. go. Build all the stuff for designer them. or yeah, Zoom exactly. designer if you want <laughs> to be more, you know, nicknamed. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I do think that there's a, uh, um, you know, especially as we go into some of the uh, I think there could be a lot of really interesting possibilities here, but but I think that you know, like for instance, building three D sets that you might right now we're building like cheap sets, but you could with green screen and everything else, you really could get something that looked really good. Um, but you'd have to have what you want is a CG set system that um, that you you literally type in the, the the number the focal length and it would correct for it. You know, you take a little probe and it lights it properly you know there's a whole bunch of things you could do that that would be kind of halfway between these that would actually put a little bit more effort into it you could have something that looks pretty cool uh go ahead cj kudos to microsoft's marketing department for actually putting the jello hand in their ad <laughs> they didn't even try to hide it and they're like hey the, the, you know the edges aren't going to look great but uh I'd, I'd also love to see at what point of the of lighting the physical space, does this all just break down tremendously? Maybe it bullies people into getting better lighting. Probably not. Yeah, yeah it's, it's all about trying to make it easier. I'll go ahead, Courtney. It does match the lighting well, but the problem with generative AI is you don't know necessarily know what it's going to come up with. It's going to match kind of what your background is and clean it up if it's just doing a cleanup. But that one girl that put in a, a wine glass with some Chardonnay, what if you're having a meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention or something, you know, and it's putting wine glasses in your background half full at 8 o'clock in the morning? You know, it's going to say something about you. You may not want it to say. You know, say Alex implements it and it, it changes all of the Apple uh, hardware behind him to Microsoft hardware because, hey, it's a Microsoft product. Yeah, they I have a wine glass remover filter. Yeah, yeah. I will say though, like <laughs> tracking tag with any yeah, they, wine. I just wish that they were. The, 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 they're going down the path of. Uh, uh, they're going down the path that I we've seen with a lot of other companies. Which, let's keep adding features. Like as a Mac user, you're just like uh, my Teams barely works. Like we we make fun of it um, because it's the Mac version of Teams is so bad. That and so unstable that we just we're constantly poking at it, you know. And 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 people send me now Zoom uh, team links, and I go if if I know that they used they've used Zoom before, if they're not a new client, I, I send them back a Zoom link. I'm like, how about we use one that can work? It's <laughs> like one that will actually work, you know. And and so and there's enough Mac users in the group. They're like, oh yeah, let's just use Zoom. So so uh, because and and so they have to. I mean, I I can't. I don't understand how the Mac client can be so broken. And, uh, and, and, and the problem for, for teams is 
a lot of CEOs and a lot of marketing people that use Macs. And for that to be like the it total, it's it's not like kind of broken. It is a disaster. Like Teams is a disaster on the Mac. Um, it is like, and, it, and it, it, it just, it's unbelievable how bad it is. And we make fun of it all the time. And I think, I feel like they should fix that before they put, put generative AI in the background. Um, next question. Next question from Robin Cutshaw in Atlanta, Georgia. What wave plugins are you using? What are must-haves? Well, we use the WL meters. This is a Waves uh, loudness meter. So you can see that one, and that one goes on sale. I think it'll be like $15 the next next week or something like that. I have to admit, I don't use a ton of Waves plugins. I bought a lot of t- Waves plugins emotionally, as, as Chris had talked about earlier. Like, I, this is the time to buy them if I ever wanted to buy them. And then I haven't used them at all. So, so, I, so I, I, I'm not buying anymore. I just was, I thought it was a fun thing to talk about. Uh, next question. From David Brady in New York, New York, USA, looking for the smallest possible keyboard trackpad that I can throw in my everyday carry pouch for those days where I need to connect to headless systems in the field. I've got big sausage fingers, so not BlackBerry-like. Now go ahead, Samuel. Well, I, I've had the Logitech K400, uh, and I've been very happy with it. It's like a, it's not like a super small keyboard, but it's I would probably wouldn't go any smaller than this. And it has a trackpad, and uh, and it's uh, that's a quite good quality. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, until I read the last part, I was going to suggest the iPassport, which is what I carry around on my laptop uh, because it has a touchpad and a full QWERTY keyboard, including the function keys along the top. And you can operate it uh, with your, it has a tactile field, so you can operate it pretty much like a tactile keyboard with your thumbs. Uh, that's good. Uh, an intermediate size one, which you can almost type on, but I find ones that don't have a full-size keyboard impossible to type on. This is one uh, from ASIO, A-Z-I-O, uh, that has uh, a little uh, sensor in the upper left-hand corner over here, which is a little camera that looks upward, and you move your finger across it, and that's your mouse. And then it has larger keys up here for the keyboard, but still you can't really touch type on it. But this is a handy one that I also have. And I have uh, full-size keyboards that, uh, sorry, just dropped a quieter three hitting the ground and it wasn't very quiet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I have others that are intermediate size, but, um, and I I have one that I I found years ago. Let me grab it. that I, I still constantly use is this size. You can almost type on this and it has a touchpad and it's a USB plug. So you don't have to depend on it having a Bluetooth connection and it'll always work whether or not Bluetooth is enabled or not, or whether the dongle is, you know, you have enough Bluetooth, uh, enough uh, uh, ports to plug your USB dongle in. So at least it works always with this. You can plug it in, it'll run even in the BIOS. You don't have to wait for the uh, operating system to boot. Go ahead, CJ. If it's stuff that you own, uh, one thing that I'm always a fan of is installing a plugin like uh, screens or something like that so I can do a remote control on that computer and can just use the laptop that I'm bringing with me. Uh, I also really like, actually, if I'm looking for the absolute smallest full-sized keyboard, the Apple Magic Keyboard is very, very tiny. And it has a nice physical on-off switch, so you're not going to accidentally trigger it in your pocket. Pair that with, if you have an iPhone, grab the uh, an app like this from Touchpad uh, or Touchpad from Adobe, where you can use your phone as the keyboard and the trackpad for uh, that particular computer. And go ahead, Bill, real quick. 
try really hard to get used to whatever you're going to use. Because for me, I, whenever I go remote, I bring a full-size Magic trackpad and a full-size keyboard because the geometry of those when I put the key trackpad below the keyboard centered is exactly like my laptop, and I don't make mistakes. Anything else, I struggle for the first week. Yeah, I think that I think that the 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 advantage of I think what he's looking for is just being able to get into computers, and we've taken a lot of those like all integrated trackpad and keyboard because I got to get into a computer. I don't have to do much work on it. I just have to get to the terminal. You know, I think that's kind of the the thing that we're. Um, uh, I think I think I think that's what he's that he's that what he's trying to do there. Um, of course, we'll be uh, continuing with your questions. If you've got questions, you can go ahead and throw those into Makana uh, uh, or the or the QR code, and we'll address them in the second hour. Um, the um, so that so that's the um, uh, but yeah, we'll do that. I got a little myself a little turned up. We've got a volunteer meeting uh, right after this meeting, or not right after this meeting, but at nine o'clock. Uh, so if you're interested in, in being a new volunteer, uh, we'll be discussing that and how to do that, how to make all of that work. And right now, uh, we are going to jump into the second hour. I didn't really know what to do there. I got myself kind of in a in a halfway between. I had a little too much time. I didn't have. I no longer had time to do the full announcement, but I had a little too much time to do nothing. And so, so I was, I was caught in between. I little feel in, you. Little I inside baseball. You. I was like, I was like, Whoa! you know, like usually I'm pretty good at it. Like, and and we just we we talked that last question a little too long, and so I was so I I, I was like, that's why I was like, real quick, we got to get through. And then I added a note that I didn't need to add, and that's what ruined everything. And so uh, anyway, some inside baseball. It's a weekend. I can tell you guys what we're trying to figure out here so anyway it's uh, let's go to the next question next question from eric kurz in hartford connecticut can you run zoom iso in the cloud go samuel uh, well maybe you could but there's a whole bunch of issues of running macs in the cloud uh, so uh what i, I would probably use is epifent connect it's a uh, it's uh, it's uh, it can uh, join the the meeting as a as a participant and uh, do SFD feeds out. Uh, the other ways you could do it is if you uh, VMix uh, is coming on coming with the uh, twenty seven and you can run a VMix instance in the cloud and bring it right into VMix. And then there's also uh, the Zoom's production studio that we use on Sundays. And that's it's not really a ISO out, but you can do you can do at least basic uh, layouts inside of Zoom. Yeah, and, and um, uh, uh, Zoom Rooms is also something that runs in the cloud. It has a lot of the features that Zoom ISO has. So, so basically, Zoom Rooms can run in the cloud, and you would run that. You can run it on on a on a Mac Mini. And, and Andy kind of kicked in some. You know, he's like, you you know, you can do you can run it on a Mac Mini in the cloud. Um, but you can just use Zoom Rooms. Um, so Zoom Rooms is um, uh, will give you most of those out out features. I you know, I, I don't because I don't do it in the cloud. I don't know exactly all the little bits and pieces. But we're working on figuring some of those bits and pieces out to show all of you how how we do that. But then you can use a destination like VMix or or Vector or other things to to get those signals back in. So um, so stay tuned for we're doing we're about to do a lot of R and D in this area. Um, to figure out how to do all of these things in the cloud, so um, so stay tuned because we'll be you'll see us not only doing it on Saturdays next year, but showing you how we're doing it and 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 discussing you know some of the tests that um, you know that we're that we're working through. Uh, and by the way, um, Samuel pointed out something you know because on Sundays we do production studio. And what it was pointed out to me, I think that, that we had an earlier question about why aren't we doing audio for Sundays? And the reason is, is because we're not using our normal system. We'll figure that out. Like, I apologize that we haven't been putting Sunday out on the audio feed. Um, but the reason we didn't is not 
any specific reason other than we changed our system and we're just learning how to do the new system. But we'll figure out a way to stream, uh, do an ice cast stream so that you can hear it in the in the radio app. So sorry about that. And but we'll uh, we'll get that sorted out. Next question. Next question from Craig McFarlane in Boston, Massachusetts. CJ mentioned three uh, three screen window utilities he counts on. Can you do a quick what and why for those? Yeah, go ahead, CJ. Yeah, so uh, I usually depend just on a product from Mizage Software called Divi, uh, and I will show you that quickly. This is their website. I put a link to a demo into Makana. But basically what it allows you to do is you can trigger or summon this little interface to come up and you just drag and drop or just highlight what part of your window you want that screen to migrate to. What I do with it, though, is I will actually uh, assign keyboard shortcuts to it. So if I'm using a very wide monitor, I can not only use it to make it go, let's click to make sure it's the active window left, right, up, down, I can also do corners. When I'm on my 49-inch wide, I have one, two, three, I have eighths or sixths of the screen. The other thing that I like about it is that when I'm on this setup and I have multiple screens, I can move the mouse from one screen to another, and it will take the active window that's at the forefront and move it over to that other monitor with that keystroke. So it turns it into less mouse fiddling and more actually getting stuff done. The other two that I mentioned... Uh, we're both Mac App Store. Uh, I think this one's on the Mac App Store as well. All three of them are now. Uh, Cinch is one of them, and that uh, emulates kind of the windows when you drag to the left, drag to the right. And then Magnet is another good one that has a lot of built-in keyboard shortcuts that do what 90% of the people need to do. So if you just want the keyboard shortcuts to be set up, you don't want to set them up yourself, go ahead and get Magnet. If you want to customize to your heart's content and go ahead and get a, uh, you know, a, a a 10 by 10 grid of really, really precise where you want the windows to be. And I want to add in a 20 pixel buffer at the bottom for my custom taskbar, all that stuff. That's when you go ahead and get Divi. Good, Nigel. Yeah, I was going to say I use Magnet. It's pretty easy to use. Uh, I, I don't use it, by the way, as much as I thought I was going to use it. But uh, if you want a much simpler way from the Mac store, uh, that's a pretty easy one. Next question. Next question from Robert Sabamity in Poland. I know this question's been answered a hundred times, but I'll ask it again. What hardware do you recommend for keyboard, mouse, and screen sharing for a small stack of Mac Minis? Go ahead, Samuel. Uh, well, uh, the way I do it is in software, uh, and I use this here app uh, that, uh, unfortunately, I can't remember it now. I was ch checking it up, but it's this here, uh, this here, uh, what you run on the on uh, Windows and Mac. It's uh, Synergy, it's called. Uh, that you can connect uh, both, uh, run it on all your computers, and then that you do it over the network. Yeah, and and I I went I started with Synergy. I think I've mentioned this before. And it, um, just make sure to turn off the drive option. Um, I dragged, I accidentally grabbed a drive, got halfway between two computers, and destroyed a computer. Like I didn't even know you could do that much damage to a Mac. Um, it's what Synergy did. <laughs> so, so it was like I not still not sure. I reground it to the to the to the ground. I mean, and then brought it back up again. And I'm still not sure it's working perfectly the same. Like I, because Synergy sits in this kind of BIOS area, uh, it, it put it into a cycle that I've never seen before. So, um, so I went back to hardware. Um, I use a switcher to get between things. And then I have, so the way mine is set up and I think that Samuel's is a much more straightforward way to do it. So I have a, um, I have a Blackbird eight by eight router. So I have this router that is, I've got seven screens that are around here 
and I have a blackbird that feeds those screens. And then I have a, or it's a mixture of feeding the screens and feeding other things. But I, um, the blackbird feeds the screens. Um, and then I have a P-Way, this HDMI, USB, KVM for four of them. So four of the computers that are, that are connected there. Um, are run from that. Some of the computers don't need, I don't need to always have control over them. I have an 8 by uh, KVM, but it makes a beep that I can't figure out. I know there's some way to turn it off, but I can't find it. Um, and uh, so like one that I don't necessarily control, like I have a computer, my presentation machine, I only need to get to to get the presentation up. And then I run this. Um, my Telestrator doesn't need one because it's Telestrator and I can get to it from there. So there's a couple that I don't that I don't need there. Um, and then I have the KVM, which I switch between in hardware. Part of the other problem is because I have so many more screens than I have monitors, more screens on the computer than I have monitors, I can get my mouse into a place that I don't know where it is. Like it just, it's just gone. Like it's somewhere in, in one of those non-showing screens because I'm changing the way my setup is based on so different shows and different things that I do. I'm reconfiguring the monitors. So I re reconfigure what I see based on it. So it's a very complex system that took me a decade to kind of kind of understand how to do it. So it takes me like, for instance, when I do, I do have a presentation I do pretty often. And I, uh, I have to, it takes me like 20 minutes to get ready for it. Like if someone says, can you just do it? I'm like, I can't just do it. I have to like reset the whole thing and check everything and make it all work. So it's not nearly as seamless as Samuel's solution. And, and I know a lot of people that have been really successful with Synergy. So I don't want to say that it can't work. I'm just saying, uh, at least on a Mac, be careful of the being able to move, move move a drive from one place to the other. I would turn that off. There's a feature in there to turn it off. Just let your mouse go to different places. Don't let you pull things between them. Uh, go ahead, Samuel. Yeah, well, the way I have it set up is that I have I have a Windows uh, uh, PC here, and then I have my Mac in the middle, and then I have my laptop on the side. So I have a vertical setup on each. At least these are two I have the vertical setup. Uh, so then, uh, uh, so uh, I have like one and one and one, like, I, and then I just move between them. I always think it's funny that anytime someone shows behind the scenes from one of our kits, it all, all of us look like, oh, we're just sitting around a computer having a meeting with you. And every time you see a reverse, you just see this, this all these monitors. It's like all of us have like these little mini control rooms that, that, that show up when you, when you, when you see what we're actually doing. Uh, next question. Next question from Matthias Utila from Helsinki, Finland. Can panelists recommend simple and easy software to record your webcam video in Windows? For example, QuickTime is an easy way to record on a Mac. Is there a native app to do it in Windows? Uh, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Well, VLC will do it, but built into every copy of Windows is, of course, the camera app. So if you just type the search button and put the camera app up, uh, it will put your USB camera there. It can't share that video with, so if you're using that same camera with Zoom, this is a different camera than the one I'm using uh, on Zoom. And then you just go to, uh, it's not too intuitive unless you read the instructions. If you you could click on a still or the video camera, but if you just click on the video camera, it will start recording. So now it's recording and until you hit stop, uh, and, and as soon as you hit stop, uh, that recording will be available. You can then click on it down here in the lower right-hand corner and play it back. Uh, that's built into Windows, or you can use VLC to record, only it's much more difficult to record in VLC because it's kind of buried in menus. Next question. Next question from Eric Hers in Hartford, Connecticut. Zoom Rooms supports NDI outputs, but which one? HX or SpeedHQ? Full. 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 
That's the one you want. <laughs> don't, don't, don't use H. You only use HX if you absolutely positively have to. Like it, it's, it's if, you know, there are, there are times to use HX, but you're going to have a much higher latency. I think the HX is between 150 and 200 milliseconds and the full is like, I think it's 15 or 20. So, um, or 16, I think is the number in their, in their documentation. But, um, but anyway, so those are the, uh, so you want to use the full um, to make that work. Next question. Back again, Eric Hers from Hartford, Connecticut. Can Zoom Rooms support 8 plus 360 NDI outputs? Is this only possible with Zoom ISO now? Uh, I think that it is, for some reason, I think that Zoom Rooms is 4, um, but it could be 8. Um, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I, what's in my head is 4. And I'm gonna, uh, if I drag my feet, I might get an answer. Um, but, um, but, the, uh, but I think it's 4 outs. Um, and, and I do think that kind of the sharp end of the spear is, is Zoom ISO as far as what it can do. And then usually those things are kind of finding their way to Zoom rooms. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if it can do 8. Um, but you can also have more than one room. So you can have more than one room jump into things and be able to take out, uh, that's what we're doing with ISO, right? We have more than eight. So, or more than, and, and a lot of our ISOs are four still. So we have eight, uh, one, one of our ISOs I think is eight or, or an, uh, well, in the current system we're using, I believe that John Wallace's is actually eight. All of them are eight. Um, but our older system had one eight and then a bunch of fours. Um, and so you can just do four each and then you'd be able to get it out. So there's a lot of ways to, to peel that away. All right. We're slightly short day today. Um, as far as, as far as questions, totally fine. It's a Saturday. It's right. It's a Saturday before Thanksgiving weekend. We expect it. Um, and so, uh, so it's really, uh, but thank you for all the great questions to the, to the uh, producers who have asked a lot of great questions today. Um, and, uh, thank you to the panel. Uh, who, uh, who, um, great conversation, a great panel this morning. Uh, we had a real, really fun time here um, and a really good, really good discussion. Um, and uh, thank you to the incredible team on the back end. Seven days a week cutting the show and, uh, and, and developing for the show and managing the show. We really, really appreciate everybody's effort. Uh, another reminder that we'll be doing an intro to, to uh, volunteering at nine. Uh, that's in about 45 minutes. If you're interested, I'll put a larger post on into Discord so you can with the link so you can jump into it there. Um, and um, yeah, that's, uh, that's I think it's a it's a good Saturday. I'm going to go have some. I, I, I it was a rough morning, so I'm go have some breakfast. Uh, we traveled 45,000 miles at 73,000 kilometers, and I keep on moving my banana. It is um, uh, 360 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into after hours. Everything takes longer with a boot on. Like you're just like, <laughs> all my calculations are off. I'm like, oh, I got to get this thing. And I go through the thing. I feel like a pirate the whole time. I'm like, argue. It takes even longer with a peg leg too. I had a peg leg before the boot because um, then I, cause I couldn't put any weight on it. And so, and I, oh. it, what's really funny is, is that I didn't think the peg leg was that big of a deal. I bought it on Amazon. I didn't go to a doctor for it. I just went and I walked into Kaiser to get x-rays on my, on my heel, on my foot. And they were like, what is that? <laughs> and I was like, it's a peg leg. And, and they were like, that is amazing. Like, <laughs> I you didn't a realize. Eye patch that goes Talk about old school. I didn't realize that I was so innovative. Uh, it was just, I saw, and I have to admit that I hadn't seen it before. I saw it in at the shore. I see the, the little scooters all the way. You know, yeah, I don't like the, like the scooter. The this is a peg. This is a full-on peg. I, I